Well, good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Josh. I'm the, the minister here at ACC. Happy New Year's Eve, I guess. Um, for, for those of you who have been around for a while and you, you know this by now and, and our visitors here are, are going to get to know this, there's two things you'll know about me. Um, number one, my favorite thing is to do things a little bit different this time. And we're going to do things a little bit different this time. Um, so just be forewarned of that. And the other thing that you probably have realized if you've been around this church for a minute is that, is that I'm not really big on doing holiday-themed sermons. Like we didn't do, we didn't do anything for, for Mother's Day or Father's Day or Fourth of July or anything like that. And it's not, it's not because I don't like holidays or I'm like some sort of Scrooge that thinks that holidays aren't in the Bible, so we shouldn't celebrate them. No, it, the reason we don't do a lot of holiday-themed sermons has everything to do with the way I plan out our sermons for the year. So, so there's, this is a little, tell you about how, a little bit how the sausage is made, okay? There's, there's a couple different ways in which, if you're a preacher, that you can plan out your sermons for the year. The first is you take your calendar and you spread it out, and you look at all of the different dates. You've got Easter and Christmas and Mother's Day and Labor Day, and, and, you, and you plug in your sermons, and then you say, okay, in between um, Mother's Day and Memorial Day, we've got three weeks, so I've got, you know, I can do something on this Sunday about joy, and then this Sunday we'll talk about repentance, and the next one we'll talk about baptism, and, and that's kind of how you plan out what you're going to preach for the year. I do things a little backwards. I start by saying, okay, what book of the Bible do we want to study? And then I will say, okay, how long is it going to take me to get through this book? And then, you know, I say, we're going to go through Matthew. I think it's going to take me 12 weeks, and I break it out. And then I lay out my calendar, and I plug those sermons into each section on the calendar. I do it this way because I understand that I'm a flawed human being. If I am given the liberty to choose my topics in advance, I'm going to end up just camping out in the things that I want to talk about, right? You'll notice that I think a lot of, of churches will do this, probably not consciously, but we're all biased and we say, okay, I really want to talk about this topic, whatever it is, repentance or, or homosexuality or something like that. And they'll say, okay, we're just going to really hammer on those sections. And you'll notice that those sermons keep coming up. And so I, I do things the way I do to avoid that bias. So I don't have my little pet projects that come up in the sermon. And instead, I let the Bible set the tone for what we're going to talk about. Now, there's, there's a couple of downsides to that method. Number one, it makes me a little bit less flexible as a preacher. I'm not able to talk about current events as much because, you know, right now it's Philippians chapter 3, and that's what we're scheduled to talk about. And the other downside is you miss out on the holidays, right? Because there's, there's like a holiday every month, and there's only so many weeks in the month to be able to fit in. And if I put holiday sermons in there as well, we would never actually get to the Bible. And so that's the downside. Right now in America, every church in America is doing their New Year, New Us, New Vision sermon, right? That's their series. We're going to do a new sermon series for the new year. What is God planning for us this year? And here's the amazing thing. Because we do our messages this way, and because we put our trust in the Bible to set the tone, I've found that nine times out of ten, the passage that comes up for that week just fits perfectly with what's going on. Like, it's, it's almost like, 
it's almost like there's this supernatural being who is controlling everything and has... <laughs> it's a joke, sorry. Um, my point is that, is that the passage we're going to look at today uh, actually fits in really perfectly with our new year and our new vision. Um, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you, uh, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can use the Bible app on your phone. We've got uh, paper Bibles. We've got Bibles in the back. We've got Bibles coming out of our ears. Um, the passage we're going to read today is Philippians starting in chapter 12. But what I want us to do is I want us to back up to verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, just to get a little bit of the context. So we've been going through our series in the book of Philippians. We've been dissecting it verse by verse with a microscope. And, and two weeks ago when we looked at Philippians 3, 1 through, excuse me, 1 through 11, Paul had given this speech, this, um, this thing that he had told the Philippian church before, and now he's reminding them again about the dangers of the circumcisers, the Judaizers who want to come in and force the Gentiles to be circumcised. And one of the things Paul mentions is his former way of life in Judaism and how righteous he was and what he thinks about all of those rote acts of obedience that come without faith. So I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, he says, More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. Pause there. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, the difference between Christ's faithfulness and faith in Christ. Um, you can go back and listen to that, or if you want to talk about that verse a little bit more, catch me after the sermon. Um, but our translation here, we've got Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness that comes from God that is based on Christ's faithfulness. He says, My aim is to know Him and to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in death, and so somehow to attain from the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so Paul is saying all of that stuff, all of that obedience that comes without faith is dung. It's worthless compared to knowing Christ. So we jump into verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. So, so the case has been made that you're not made right with God through your rote obedience without faith. But I want to be clear, Paul is not against doing good works. Paul is not against doing good things. In fact, if you read Paul's letters, you'll find that he's, he sets us a moral standard that in some ways is, feels a little bit unattainable. It's approaching the level of moral perfectionism. But yet he's made it extremely clear that the initiation process is all by God. It's not my works, it's God's works. It's not my righteousness, it's God's righteousness. Instead, he says the aim is to know Christ, to imitate Christ, to be one mind with Christ because it all comes from God and we don't bring anything to the table. 
That's why I said it's, it's all dung. It's worthless. It's garbage if you don't know Christ. But the obvious follow-up question then as a Christian is, okay, well, if I don't bring anything to the table, if my works don't add anything to the conversation, if I have nothing to offer, then what is my role as a Christian? What is my job? What am I supposed to be doing if God does all the work? Someone might ask, say, say, Paul, okay, if the goal is to know Christ, then after I know Christ, then what am I supposed to do? Paul would say, you don't know Christ yet. Paul says, I haven't even attained that knowing Christ to the level at which I need to truly know Christ. But instead, I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. Which, by the way, if that, if that verse is confusing to you, I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Don't feel alone in that being a little bit of a word salad. I had to read it like 20 different times in five different translations. I broke out my Greek New Testament and diagrammed it with little highlighters and markers because it's such, a, it's such an odd way of, of phrasing it. But one thing that I think is helpful to understand this verse is that the, the words Paul is using here, these are racing metaphors, like a foot race. He's talking about laying hold of the prize, taking the trophy that's at the end, finding that prize. And so what you should be picturing here as Paul is, is describing this is that Jesus has run a race and the prize was, in this case, Paul. Paul was the one that Jesus was trying to win through this race of his death and his burial and resurrection. He ran that race so that he could gain Paul, so that he could save Paul. And now, what Paul is saying is, Jesus saved me for a purpose, and I want my purpose to be that purpose. I strive to lay hold of the thing for which Christ laid hold of me. There's a reason God called you. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It is not from works so that no one could boast. Again, we don't bring anything to the table. Our actions don't make us right with God. Not because actions are bad. Not because God doesn't want us to do good things. But because he doesn't want us to boast on our own merits. He wants us to give God all the glory and boast about Christ's accomplishments. But then verse 10, here's the kicker. He says, For we are his creative work, having been created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand so that we may do them. Think about that for a second. Jesus died on the cross for you specifically. And he didn't do it because he just woke up one Friday morning and was like, you know, I kind of feel like I might go get crucified today. That might be a fun, that might be a fun thing to do. Yeah, to save some people. That would be, that'd be fun. We, we could go to, you guys want to do a crucifixion later on? No? Here's another thought. He didn't even die on the cross because that was the only way to defeat evil and Satan. God's all-powerful. God could have went like this, banished Satan. He could have went like this, eliminated sin. He could have went like this, eliminated death and pain and suffering. And all the sinful people that went along with it, of course, but 
He could have beaten evil very easily. Why did he rescue us then? Why were we a part of the equation? It's because we have a job to do. And Paul's saying, I haven't finished my job yet. I'm striving toward it. He says in verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. He's so, he wants you to know he's not there yet. So bad, he tells you twice. I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. He's focused on nothing else besides Christ's vision for his life, the path, the race that Christ has laid out before him. There's, a, there's an example I like to use with, with kids and, and youth that works really well when I'm talking about salvation is I'll, I'll get the kids together and I'll, I'll have them draw a line or I'll put two items in the room. And I'll say, okay, on this end, I want you to imagine the worst human being ever to have lived, ever will live throughout all history. And most of them say Hitler, maybe Pharaoh from the Bible, the worst person you could ever possibly imagine. And on this end of the line, I want you to imagine Jesus Christ. Every human being who has ever existed throughout history exists somewhere on that line between the worst person imaginable and Jesus Christ. And the thing, it's a big line, by the way. And some of the people that are on that line will go to heaven, and some of the people on that line will go to hell. That is just a fact. And the determining factor of which way you go is not just a point somewhere on that line that once you've crossed over, okay, now you've reached that point, and now you can sit back and relax because you're on this half of the line. That's not the thing. The thing that makes you right with God is not your position on the line, but your direction and which way you are moving. So you can be all the way over here, but you're walking toward Christ. That means you are striving to lay hold of the thing for which Christ laid hold of you. And you can be all the way over here on this you know, this Mother Teresa side, you've done all the good things and you're an amazing person, but if your back is torn towards Christ, you're running the wrong way. I had a... I played peewee basketball when I was little. I wasn't very good at it. And I can remember the first basket that I ever made. I was like... I was little enough that I had to do the granny shot because I couldn't quite do this. But I remember I had gotten the ball from the other team, and I had dribbled it, and I got into a spot, and there was nobody around, and I could hear my, my parents and the coach going, go, Josh, go, go, Josh, go. And I, I lined up, and I did that granny shot, and it bounced, and it hit the rim, and it, it, it went in. It was the first basket I ever made, and I was so excited. And I looked over to my coach, and he's going like this. It was the wrong basket. doesn't matter how good you're doing. If you're not running toward Christ, then you're running the wrong way. And so in, in chapter 3, verse 14, he says, With this goal in mind, knowing Christ, fulfilling Christ's purpose, he says, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What are we running toward? 
Do we have a goal and a purpose that we are running toward? Are we running toward knowing Christ? And if we look at this entire letter, all throughout Philippians, he, he talks about how our goal should be being united with Christ, being of one mind with Christ, being of the same mind of Christ, who, though he was God, he didn't find equality with God something to be grasped. Having the same attitude that he has, we should have. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And we get there by knowing him. How do we get there? How do we know Jesus? I would argue that we know Jesus by being in conversation with him. He talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. We spend time studying his word. We spend time in relationship with other Christians. We spend time showing our love to the world. But in all of this, in all of this passage, we've been reading this through the lens of me, the individual. What must I be doing? What am I running toward but I don't know, I've spent, I've spent several months in this book, and it seems like Paul's major theme is that the I language needs to quit, and the we language needs to kick in. That's why he tells us in chapter 1, he says, he wants to hear that the church in Philippi is standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so maybe the thing we need to be thinking out about is, what are we as a church running toward? How are we getting to know Christ? How are we serving Christ? And so here's what I want to do. This is going to be a little bit different, and I'm glad we have some visitors here. Um, I think that's God's providence. But I want to take the next about 15 or 20 minutes and just casually have a conversation with the church about what are we running toward? And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn off the mic and, and, and find a chair and sit down. And I just want to talk, have a little bit of a kind of a town hall. And I want your guys' input on what we're going to study moving forward. If there's a passage of scripture you want to study, I know a, a while back somebody had mentioned wanting to go through Jeremiah. Um, I want to know those things because I want us as a church to be of one mind and striving toward the same thing. And so if there's something you want to study, if there's something you want to know, I want you to bring that up to me. If there's something we should be doing, if there's a service project or if there's a, a family in need that we as a church need to be helping, I want to know those things. I want to know where you are in your life and how we can minister to you. And so I want to know those things. Um, so I'm going to say a prayer, I'm going to find a chair, we're going to sit down, we're going to have a discussion for about 15-20 minutes, and then we'll sing our song of invitation and, and bring the kids on back. So why don't you go to God with, in, with me in prayer. Father God, we, we are so grateful for the race that you have set before us. We are so grateful for the opportunity that you have given us to serve you. We are so grateful that you sent your son to save us to give us purpose and direction in our lives. And Father, as we, as we 
suss out what that needs to look like this year with our church. We just ask that you would be involved in the process with us. We ask that you would help to guide our hearts. We ask that you would help to encourage those who are here to speak up on what they are lacking and so that we can meet those needs. And most of all, Father, we thank you for your son and his sacrifice. And it's in his precious name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen.